Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Shop. I'm fumbling my way through this introduction. It's your host, Kyle. And joining me again this week, we've got Eric from ES Invests. Uh, before we start talking about the news, though, I'd just like to take a quick minute to say thanks to our sponsors and friends over at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and Orderflow Labs. Manscaped is the best in below-the-waist grooming with precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And with Manscaped getting into the world of beard care, now is the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2Bulls at manscaped.com. As always, that is the number two. When it comes to institutional quality trading education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. Our free Discord server, you'll also find instructions there to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all you DGENs who enjoy trading futures, you definitely want to check out the custom tools and studies over at Orderflow Labs. And... Obviously, you want to stay up to date with Eric's uh, new McLaren purchase, so you should be following him at ES Invests on Twitter and YouTube uh, to make sure you stay up to date with that. Uh, and lastly, uh, be sure to reach out to us with your suggestions, corrections, questions for future guests, or just uh, you know, shoot the shit, tell us stories. Maybe you lost, maybe you won. I don't know. Whatever. We're here for you. You can do that via email at twobulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join that free Discord server I've mentioned multiple times. Where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lesson learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Be sure to put all those links in the episode description as well. All right, now that all that crap's out of the way, what you got, Eric? How you doing today? Stellar. <laughs> oh boy, it's gonna be another one of those one-word days, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. Uh, I had a bunch of trades today. Nothing too entertaining. I did take a small loss. Day trading in the rut, it bit me in the old gonads. Um, ah, it sounds sounds similar. I, I think I had a similar experience today. Yeah, yeah. I did reestablish. So I had some volatility trades in Goldman Sachs that came in nicely. And then I had some core trades in IWM that are moving just fine. But in the Russell, it, admittedly, it was a little bit of a stretch just because the volatility or variance risk premiums I typically refer to it as it wasn't as robust as I typically like it to be, but it's been generally range bound otherwise. So I was like, yeah, you know, I'll put on a, a small trade and then it was working okay. It started with just short puts, but then obviously the market was trending down. It started getting a foothold around 1860. So then that's where I entered with those short puts. Then I started adding some short calls against it, and then um, those started to get challenged. So long story short, I essentially just traded both sides uh, until I could get out. It was a $2,800 loss. So for the size of the trade, that was close to a break-even, but um, still you know, enough of a loss that it's worth mentioning, just because I think it is important for people to talk about losing trades because they fucking happen, and that was one of them. So... You, you were able to work your way closer to break even or there, was there any point where you thought about just cutting it? 
No. I'm just no. walking away it's, or no, the, the trade's small enough that I, I don't really get to those points. What I do is mm. it, they typically start with a defined structure. So it'll either be naked short puts or it'll be a short strangle, short straddle, something, right? Mm -hmm. a, just a typical option structure. And then as it starts to move underneath me, that I turn them into whatchamacallits and thingamajigs. <laughs> and what I mean by that is I, I'm not even, I mean, I couldn't care less what the structure is in terms of like trying to name it, I'm just adding risk in different points to mm -hmm. modify the risk profile. So at one point it was like a, you know, a straddle with an additional short calls against it. Then it was like a double strangle. Like it just morphs throughout the, the life cycle of the trade. But I mean, at one point it was definitely down pretty big and I'm fortunate enough in the way that I size these trades, I do use size to mm -hmm. get me out of the danger zone. So what I mean by that is I just begin piling on risk that allows me to change dramatically the risk reward profile. And then I'm using time and the contraction of volatility, the downside today that just made it a little bit more arduous was as the Russell was contracting, volatility was expanding. Right. So not only was I being directionally challenged, but I was also being challenged just in terms of the volatility of the position, which I would make that as time decays, but the problem is, is I need to wait for time decay. So as that risk right. is shifting around, I'm just having to move a, a bunch of shit essentially nonstop. So it's, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I don't day trade too much just because it can turn into that. Now, I mean, the last two weeks, it's been an extremely productive trade. I, I'm up overall handsomely on the strategy. So today was obviously just a small step back, mm -hmm. but you know, like I said, I just think it's so important for people to at least fucking talk about losing trades once in a while because really your program's one of the ones that I feel like people are a little more open and honest about that stuff, which is important. But most other places, man, I, I, I look at my performance against like the performances I see on a place like Twitter and I'm thinking I am a total fuck up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I know that not to be true, but it makes you feel that way because, yeah, apparently everybody's a fucking genius. It's crazy. There's like what a ten percent success rate if you're being generous in the the world of trading, and it seems like everybody's on Twitter and vocal. Like oh, that that full ten percent. Like where's the where's the rest? <laughs> 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 you're like oh yeah, something doesn't add up. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I had a bit of a challenge in day two. I guess maybe we can um, like definitely something that I, I posted to to hopefully get people to learn from some of the mistakes and trials that I had today. Uh, which was more just about uh, mental discipline and uh, patience. I was very happy that I was able to stop myself uh, in the moment and not make it spiral worse, like we talked about the first time. Uh, the checks that I put in place worked. and uh, That's a positive for me. But one of the big things I think I came up with is that I got too much discretion in my trading. And so I spent pretty much the entire day testing a, or back testing a new strategy that would rely less on discretion and more on defined structure. And you'd be happier to know too that that's uh, something with a longer time frame as well. Mm, yeah. I think integrating different time frames for you, obviously I talked about that before. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm definitely glad to see that. The, the thing about additional structure the reason why i say that that's dangerous is it's just such a delicate balance and this is yeah, less for yeah. you more just for the general people listening because it goes to the point where okay if we structure things enough why wouldn't we just automate it and if we right. can automate a successful strategy why wouldn't everybody just do that and there's a reason yep. why that doesn't happen 
So yeah, there's been a huge discussion in our group about backtesting and the importance of it. And you really start to see the benefits of it because you start to pick up on those nuances as you do the backtesting. Like, oh, okay, this this adds strength to my conviction. This this is a condition that maybe I don't want to take it. Like the retest doesn't happen within a set period of time or it hits one of my targets before I had a chance to enter it. Like, okay, scratch that. We're not taking that trade anymore. You know, things like that. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's spot on, man, because mm-hmm. the other thing I, I think about is it's, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but the real benefit from something like backtesting, it really isn't even the output of the backtest. Mm-hmm. The only thing that an output of a backtest is going to give you is like the really shitty things to avoid. Right. So like that, fine, you know, no problem. I, I think there's value in that, but I think Mm -hmm. the real, the real benefit from backtesting is the mental exercise. And that is super important because I see a lot of people, it's good to see an increasing movement of people talking about like, you know, creating a trading plan or something like that. Whereas a lot of the time it, that wasn't even part of the conversation. Right. So it's really good to see that coming into the conversation, but you know, as people do, they try to do it lazily. And they mm-hmm. don't realize, you know, as they're cobbling this random shit that they come across from all these different places together into whatever they decide to call a trading plan. And then they have a hard time following it. Well, there's a pretty clearly defined reason for that because there's no efficacy behind it because you haven't even done that very first rudimentary step like we talked about, which is back testing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ah, well, before we spend the whole 30 minutes that we have chatting about the, how shitty we did today, <laughs> should we talk about some of the news? <laughs> There is a lot of interesting things going on in the market. So oh, yeah. I actually think, yeah, I think that would be a fun, fun switch. Well, should we do some quick stories first and then get into the meat of it, which is going to assume is going to be PPI and retail sales? Yeah, whatever makes you happy makes me happy. Uh, all right. Well, I guess this one kind of leads into PPI, but uh, uh, there's, uh, let's see, who is this? Analyst at Funstrat, Tom Lee, is arguing that... Uh, the markets are going to gain more than 20% in 2023 because he sees inflation as being transitory and thinks that the Fed will be making the long-awaited pivot to a dovish stance. I mean, I do think crack cocaine is a hell of a drug. So <laughs> it's it's good, I, to see. good to see. I, I couldn't resist pulling this one up just because that tr- fucking transitory word again. <laughs> like, yeah, at what point in- is... <laughs> Okay. Anything is transitory. Like dad used to say, like the longer, if you go a long enough time frame, Right. Right. But exactly. So two years, I, I think there's, dude, not just that, but I mean, the, 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 this, the talk about the fed pivot drives me fucking crazy. The, it is interesting though, because the mm-hmm. bond market, like we talked about last time, it is showing some hints of where we might see things go, which that in and of itself is fairly informative, but yeah. The issue I have is just the sensationalism of news. The only reason I can guarantee you, if you sat down with that person to have a logical conversation about it, I can nearly guarantee you that's not their actual position. It is the position Mm -hmm. that they're crafting for the sake of being heard as it's working because we're fucking talking about it. That is exactly how financial news media works, man. Like That's why all these people... Michael Saylor and, you know, the the Bitcoin maximalist thread that he's on, he's built an army of supporters doing that. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of non-discerning information consumers. 
and they'll kind of go along for that ride. But yeah, dude, to me, it's just a fucking sensational article title. Well, here's the thing, too. I mean, if you throw enough shit at the wall, eventually you're going to be right one of these times and nobody remembers all the times you were crying and it didn't come to pass. You just go and pull up the old tweets and say, look, look, I was right. I was right. So there's a guy that I'm actually interviewing this coming Friday who's essentially like hallmarked by that. Mm-hmm. I don't dis I don't dislike him. I think he's a good dude and I think he's been around the market for a long time and he's a lot of interesting perspectives to share. That being said, he's been making at least since I started the YouTube channel and interviewing him, I, I catch up with him like once a quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's essentially been the same hypothesis and it just moves out six months each time. Oh, really? So I'm actually really, yeah, I'm actually really looking forward to discuss with him a little bit more. I've been, I wouldn't say like going soft, but I've mostly been in receive mode because yeah. the dude's been on Wall Street for like 50 years. So I'm not going to disrespect somebody like that out of the gate. I'm mostly going to look to consume as much as I can and see what threads we can pull on. But at this point, I am at a point where I feel confident enough to have like a direct conversation and say, hey, you know, you and I personally have discussed four times now. And essentially, this is what I'm seeing. So can you walk me through what's going on here? Or maybe you just think maybe it's that right? Maybe you're just continuing the same hypothesis until it comes to fruition. If that if that's is that what's going on? Like, I actually really want to understand. But it's one of those. It's again, it's a very sensationalized message. It's like, very, very parabolic in its nature. And again, I I get why, because if you look on my YouTube channel, like the two most fucking viewed videos are that. And Mm -hmm. it's because of that. Uh, Well, you haven't got your McLaren yet. That's it. I think I just need to get my OnlyFans started with the McLaren on it. And then um, (laughs) I'll put some high heels on and pump the pedals. (laughs) Yeah, I'll I'll probably get banned in like 14 seconds for destroying people's eyesight. But, you know. Uh, everybody likes everybody likes something you'd be surprised there's a market uh, for everybody uh, not everybody but uh, <laughs> but i'm gonna see. have a blast Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as sue pullen and i'm pleased to announce that she's back fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as sue mackey Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. Last one, last story I got on here that I wanted to just touch on before we get to the other stuff was, and I thought it was going to be a shorter one, uh, but it sounds like you think this might be a little more uh, newsworthy than I initially thought. But Microsoft saying they're going to lay off an additional 10,000 employees this year, which is about another 5% of their workforce. And this is following the, I think it was a thousand that they cut in October. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's see, uh, that's, they employ about 221,000 workers worldwide and there's been multiple other tech firms that have been slashing jobs too. Amazon being one of them, 
let's see, Twitter, Lyft, Stripe, Salesforce, Coinbase, Robinhood. So yeah, the Fed's war on jobs seems to be working, at least in the tech field. Yeah. So I I think um, this is actually Amazon is going through another round of job cuts and they're, I think they're dropping like 18,000. So uh, yes, that's, yep. that's going to be the largest reduction in their 28 year history. The it's reason why I think it's oh, tough sorry, for Amazon because they've already been through pretty much everybody they can employ. They've already employed them at one point in time. Like we talked about that a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, I think it's just, this is a pervasive thread and I think it's important because you know when people talk about my approach to the markets and how I perceive the markets like this is one of the things that matters to me because you mm. are seeing a major theme playing out real time where we look at the tech sector and in general there's like 60,000 employees that have been laid off in the last year that's huge right. like that yeah. is a noteworthy figure as you look across the companies that you listed, we look at things even into like crypto and Coinbase. I think there's like 2,500 or 3,000 folks mm -hmm. cut from there, but that's a large percentage of the workforce in general. So I just, I look at all of these big movements and it's pretty informative to me, at least again, in, in terms of a broad, broad theme where I have a hard time seeing where tech is the hero of this story, where right now they are scrambling. I don't think tech is going under, let me be abundantly clear. I don't think that they're no. you know, dying. I think that they've just been fat and happy for a really long time and they're getting pared down. They're taking a pretty significant haircut. But to me, that also means if you're looking for the next sector leader for the next bull market, at least as of this point right now, it's hard for me to see the case in something like tech being that when they're just right now reorganizing for survival. Right. And I mean, how much of this was... How much of this was poor planning or, or based on the stupid, in my opinion, assumption that the good times of the pandemic were going to continue you know, ad well, infinitum? I think I wouldn't confuse those two personally, at least like my perspective is I would wager that during the hiring craze in 2020, I don't think any of those companies were thinking, oh, we're going to keep all these people. Like, I just you don't think, think that, that they uh, I think that they met. A pending demand to make money. We have to remember, mm -hmm. they're not worried about the turmoil they cause in turnover in people's lives, right? right. Like they, they don't fucking care. And that's, I, I enjoy capitalism. I think it's a good thing, but I think it's always, always, always important to remember the mandate that they're following, which is make fucking money. So during COVID, there was an unprecedented demand for most of them. Mm -hmm. Why on earth would they not meet that demand, extract all of the value for as they can for as long as they can? And then now we see the unwind of that. They're saying, okay, because obviously they're not allowing themselves to go under to try to take care of everybody. They're saying, yep, no. thank you for hanging out for a bit. Uh, if you're good, we'll probably give you a severance and we'll, we'll catch you later, fam. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so what do you look for in that sector to, to think like, okay, uh, they're getting their footing. Now's the time to start, you know, investing long-term just out of curiosity. We, yeah. We're coming into a, 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 just a beautiful point in time where we're going to start getting some key data points. And like, I think this was one of the topics you had. So I'll, I'll just with the gleeful heart, steal it from you. Netflix <laughs> has earnings yes. coming up. 
And mm-hmm. we're going to start coming into tech in the next couple of weeks. So this is this is where you're going to see that. They're going to talk about all of it. They're going to talk about the stabilization. They're going to talk about their forecasts. They're going to talk about their staffing. So it's going to be a big deal. In those conversations, we will get the roadmap, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's really interesting with Netflix starting, They, I think they have what, like 450 job cuts over two rounds of layoffs or something like that. In May, it was 150 jobs. And then in June, 300. So they okay. still, you know, that's not huge. They're doing no. well compared to a lot of these other places comparatively. So they're the first ones to go. So I would look at the way they talk about staffing from that lens that they're not getting killed right now. So whatever you see Netflix talking about, there's a good chance you can essentially amplify that same thread for the following tech companies that are showing premature weakness. But for me, I'm, I would be fading. So as soon as we get any decent rallies in the queues, especially if we get them up near two, 290, 300, like I would fade them happily. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a short on in the queues today because of the news as it started to roll out leading into earnings. I just think they're going to be under a microscope. And I think just about anything they say, even if they beat earnings, I don't think that they're going to play out really well just because of the interim shock that all the layoffs are going to cause. Well, Netflix is an interesting one for me, less so because of what they say about their staffing, but more because uh, I want to see the effects of the crackdown they've had on password sharing. Yeah, I because I want to know what their subscribers are they gaining or losing subscribers and how has that impacted their bottom line? I see. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, we'll we'll get all the all those details. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think I mean, at least for me, I. I haven't heard too many people actually talking about it, so I don't I've know. I've heard if that's a few, and people calling are calling for it to be. Um, they're calling for uh, earnings beat. They're thinking that it's going to be a lot better than they're getting ready to than everyone's expecting. That's Got been it. the buzz that I've been seeing. But I look at the stock and I see it sitting at a really strong resistance level. This is one of those ones where I want to see it break above that and retest it before I try to <laughs> take advantage. I'd be more tempted to try to short it just where it's at right now. Yeah. I mean, the the way that I would view any sort of long-term investments in most of these is Netflix is probably one of the few tech companies that still has at least a reasonable looking chart, but it's still not good. No, no. If you look at anything outside of six months, it's still negative slope in general. The moving averages are just starting to get under themselves a little bit more effectively, but still largely not, not exactly where we want it to be. Uh, no, definitely. Um, all right, let's, let's move on before we run out of time completely. And, uh, let's talk about PPI and retail sales. What do you got for us? So I think when we look at those in a broad brushstroke, we actually saw, like we were talking about before, we saw retail sales came in pretty soft. So for the month over month, it was expected to come in at negative 0.5%. It came in at negative 1.1. So a pretty big decline Mm. in retail sales. And then when we look at uh, PPI, PPI was expected to be 6.8%, came in at 6.2. PP. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and those are actually really interesting to me because, you know, retail sales declining, I think we saw that coming, but still mm-hmm. like pretty bad. And then PPI coming in as low as it was, which is, it's interesting because it's a good thing, but a bad thing. You know, we were talking about this before when it came to unemployment. It's another similar story. Like you don't want it to contract too fast because then Mm. it starts to tell you you've gone too far. 
Right, right. And I, I think that that's one of the things people are starting to glean from it. Oh, okay. That's interesting. So how much is too fast? Hard to say, especially because we're in such an unprecedented time. But again, if you look at the previous um, year-over-year PPI, it was 7.4%. Mm-hmm. It was expected to contract 0.6%, and it literally contracted over one, 1.2%. Right. So it, it about doubled. So that is definitely a pretty steep acceleration outside of the forecast. So even if the forecast was more aggressive and it was closer to the forecast, fine. But the fact that it was, you know, 0.6% below the forecast, which was already pretty aggressive, again, 0.6 below um, the, the previous year over year PPI, like those were all pretty significant figures. So I think it's, I don't think that there's like a formula that will say too fast, too slow. But I think it being that far off of forecasts is kind of telling in and of itself. Yeah. And the the risk there is that the Fed has pushed it too far and are basically uh, the, the chances of that soft landing are, are evaporating in that case. Yeah, that's that's more or less the, the story, because the, you know, the conversation of a soft landing is so tricky, especially because, again, we have no landing to, to model off of in this scenario. But <laughs> right. using using commensurate, at least as commensurate as we can find instances where we're reacting like this and we start to see PPI crushing as it is, is not good. One of the, the, the things that continues to confound me genuinely is I am really surprised to see the stock market rallying as much as it is. Because what is it? It's up, let me double check real quick what it is for the year. S&P 500 is up uh, 1.9% year to date. The Russell is up 4.5% year to date. The Qs are up 3.4% year to date. That just surprises me, man. Well, I, I, I it, Sorry, when, go ahead. Um, we talked about this when the inflation was finally starting to recede. And I think uh, we pulled some stats and I don't remember what the exact figures were, but the markets have had outsized returns like immediately following like the highest inflation reading historically. Yes. Yep. And I definitely believe that there's a little bit of seasonality and efficacy behind that. Mm -hmm. The part I'm struggling with is like, we still have high inflation. It's not gone. (laughs) Right. We're still, we're still in it. And worse than that, seeing the way that the the market is reacting still, I would argue pretty emotionally, or um, I, I don't know, maybe that's not the right way to frame it, just with still increased volatility. That's without a doubt. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I just have a hard time understanding the the optimism because I'm not optimistic, at least myself, into the second half of 2023. But I, I also acknowledge the fact that I am not the fucking collective brain that is the stock market. Maybe they have it right and I'm just missing something. Well, you're also on a podcast called Two Bulls in a China Shop, so <laughs> you gotta, we got to flip your thinking there, buddy. Yeah, I was going to say, I just got to be permable. Yes, or just expand your time frame. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> yeah, tried and true. Yeah. Oh, shit. All right, well, uh, anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up here? No. That's a good conversation, man. Mm-hmm. Why am I always surprised? <laughs> All right. Well, because... I stay true to my Marinus roots and spend most of my time bumbling around my life like a fucking idiot. I thought you did you say Mariner roots? Marinus Marines. Ah, yeah, that's same, same potato, potato. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for uh, sticking around to the end here. Uh, hope you had a good time. Hope you learned something. Hopefully, uh, you tell your friends uh, that, that want to hear about people struggling that they can tune into us because uh, we'll definitely talk about that too. <laughs> well, I'm not struggling. But... It's not. It's not all just McLarens though. Uh, everybody has bad days. Everyone has losses. We 
we don't sweep those under the rug around here. Facts. All right. Say goodbye, Eric. We got to go. Goodbye, Eric. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.